Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby. Episode 18 here of the podcast, postseason edition. We are going to discuss all things postseason around the Purdue basketball program. No guests today, as we have a lot to get into. Uh, Larry, we're going to first take a look back at the Big Ten tournament, a uh, a brief stay in Washington, D.C., and I don't think anybody um, anticipated that we were going to be a one-and-done um, coming into that tournament as the one seed, first time we've done that, league champs. Um, but we ran into a Michigan team that has uh, continued to um, ride their hot streak in the month of March. Well, an incredible story. Um, as everybody knows, they were involved in an unfortunate incident that uh, really was almost catastrophic in that reason I bring it up is because uh, Matt Shepard, who does their play-by-play, their engineer, Terry Mills, who does their color, I, I you know, we, you know, Rob Blackman, uh, my uh, partner, has worked with Matt quite a bit, and so when we cornered him, even before the game was played, um, you know, Rob almost played journalist and said, tell us exactly what happened, and so and uh, he was willing to do it, and I'm telling you that was uh, that was some kind of a, a situation for them, where that plane decided at the last moment to abort, and um, it um, really, really came very close to being unbelievable. But having said all that, to have that team ride ride that after that now, and and as we speak today. They already have played six one and duns, right? And, and and have got through it. Now, you know you've heard me say this before. I think the greatest accomplishment in basketball, college basketball history, was Connecticut's run a few years ago, when they won the Big uh, East tournament at that time by winning five games, coming from a very low seed like Michigan was in the Big Ten tournament, and then went on to win the national championship. So they had eleven one and done. So. Here's uh, Michigan five games away or four games away from doing the same thing. So it's uh, quite remarkable uh, how well they've played. But having said all that, I mean, we had a great, great opportunity to clinch the game with just 18 seconds left and and fail to do it. And we'll talk about that story a little bit later. Right. It comes back into play. Yeah, sure does. You did – you mentioned the – plane incident that they had we actually were wrapping up practice and as a lot of people know indiana or uh, michigan's got a couple indiana kids on the roster and uh one a couple of our guys they called me over the locker room after the game because we were kind of finalizing our travel plans and things and when we were going to leave and guys were in the locker room kind of packing their bags up they called me over and they said held their cell phone out and said take a look at this and a few of the guys that they know were snapchatting some images to some of our players and uh, our guys were like, man, this is crazy. And then we got back up to the offices, and, of course, at that point it was all breaking on the national scene and that kind of thing. One of the unique things was our uh, the company that we used to charter us around during the regular season and then for the Big Ten tournament also was getting Michigan from point A to point B. And we had a little, um, a little bit of a blip on our travel plans because that plane was going to be involved in our travel as well. It wasn't a plane issue. It was a weather issue. No, it was very, right. It was a very wind, windy that Wind day. issue, yeah. Yeah, but that's the airport up there that we fly in, in and out of when we play at Michigan, too. So I think it all we could all relate very well to that uh, incident. And then the, the game, as you mentioned, um, 
comes down to the end. We have a two-point lead. Um, didn't uh, didn't make a couple plays down the stretch, and uh, you know I think our our team was excited to play Michigan because we wanted to get them back for the game right. in Ann Arbor, and we were right there, just couldn't close it out. And then of course Michigan wins in overtime um, and knocks off the Boilers seventy-four to seventy, uh, and then goes on to win the Big Ten tournament, as you said, playing all those consecutive one and dones, and they cut the nets down in D.C. Uh, overall, I don't heard some reports that you know the, the crowds weren't up to the size that they have been in chicago and indianapolis when the big 10 tournaments held there but overall dc was a great experience for us we obviously would have liked to st- hung around for a, lot, a while longer but uh the other thing that in dc is the home home team so to speak maryland they get bounced in the first round by northwestern so the big 10 tournament had a few surprises well one of the things people wanted to know about that was why are we playing in Washington, D.C., first off? And secondly, going to Madison Square Garden next year under duress because things have to be changed really a lot that make that happen. And it's just, um, it's just part of trying to get East Coast exposure based on admitting both Rutgers and Maryland into the uh, Big Ten. So I think all of us who have been associated with the program and these programs realize that that's all part of the you know that's all part of it so so all all i could go by was the experience of how we were handled i didn't really think too much about the crowd size and it was well done everything was really well done and the accommodations were great and no complaints i mean it was a quick turnaround obviously but that's that's all part of playing in one and done tournaments but I thought it was a nice experience, and now I'm looking forward next year to go to Madison Square Garden because, as everybody knows, that's the greatest arena yeah. in, in the history of the world. And, so. it, and two, like, I think the only thing that was different from our standpoint is we've never gone to a conference tournament on an airplane. We've always jumped right, in a bus, and we right. bust up to Chicago or bust down to Indianapolis. So for us to have to, from a logistics standpoint, uh, line up an airplane, get our you know our band, cheerleaders, all that massive travel party loaded up and, and uh, shipped out to D.C. was a little bit different for us. We were used to doing that for the NCAA tournament games, uh, but not for the conference tournament. So in a way, we got to relate to what a lot of teams in the league have to do every year and fly in to, you know Chicago or Indianapolis in that regard. Right, and the postscript to that is, and people I don't think, um, you know, fans don't really relate to this much because of television but we Purdue Indiana mostly Illinois Northwestern we're centrally located in our league thus we have the best travel arrangements because we can get to and from pretty well from those far eastern and far western things so but so if you're going from Nebraska you know to uh, Rutgers you know it's it's a whole extra hour right it's a whole different deal and uh you don't really think about that too much as these games go on and you look at some other conferences and realize how far they have to go just to play one game and then you realize how very very fortunate we are that's for sure yeah there's i think about that you know what i think about when i'm doing our annual budget and i'm budgeting our, our our trips and our flights and things like that and then i step back and think man if you're Rutgers, penn state or on the western edge Nebraska, you know, Minnesota, Iowa, 
boy, you're on that plane a lot longer than we are. I mean, we always talk. It used to be before Rutgers got in the league in Maryland, we talked about, you know, the Penn State was our basically our longest flight. Right. And they got every flight. I mean, you're going from Penn State to Nebraska now. That's uh, You're getting home a couple hours later in the middle of the night than you are, than we are. And uh, you're right. We are a little bit fortunate in that regard to be so centrally located in the uh, Big Ten footprint. Well, you know, people, when you're recruiting, and I've always thought about this, doesn't seem like it affects anybody. But if I was if I was a player and I was a parent, and I know we've had parents, you know, follow our kids for years, the incredible uh, investment and time that they have to make to see their kids play because they want to see them play in person. Right. But I... Uh, I think that to me that would be one of that would be one of the first things I'd say to myself because I don't want to be on an airplane three four hours every time I have to go make a trip. That's why no one wants to go to Hawaii. Just huh? getting ready to say that. Think about that every every trip flying back to the mainland. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, they they have a very unique situation and they and they they make arrangements for that, but still, right. they have to make that trip several times. Yeah. And I don't think I'd like to make it once, let alone, you know, five times a season. Yeah. So we get back from uh, from D.C. and uh, regroup. Uh, coach gave the guys a couple days off. Um, we reconvened on Sunday to watch the selection show. And, uh, you know, you're like most years, you're sitting there watching the show. I think I think the thing that's different maybe from previous years is the guy, the, the predictors have gotten so good. Um, and with the pod system now of trying to protect the top four seeds in each region, um, you have a pretty good sense, or at least we we did going in, that if we were going to be able to maintain a four seed, we probably would get sent to Milwaukee. Um, the big question going into that day was how much did the Michigan loss in the Big Ten tournament hurt us, and did that drop us down from what we thought we were a four? Did that drop us down to a five? Uh, obviously, when the brackets were unveiled, um, we found out we were, you know, able to hold on to a four seed and uh, and go up to Milwaukee. And I think the first thing that jumped out in everybody's mind when we saw we we really liked um, we really liked our draw. It's nice to be able to jump on a bus and get to where you need to go um, because it gives you some extra time to prep. And uh, and then right away went to work on a very good Vermont team. And the story going into that game was this is a team that had won 21 straight games going into the NCAA tournament. Well, we knew we knew they were very good. We played them the year before, beat them pretty bad at Purdue, but we played them on our home floor. And even in that game, you could tell they were well coached, and uh, you know they throw up a lot of threes, and you know they didn't hit them at you know at a high rate of efficiency like they do normally. But they added a couple of players, and the one guy that they added, that Anthony Lamb, is uh, one of the best freshmen I've seen all year by anybody. Yeah, and that was the big difference between that game here and Mackey. A couple things was we went back and, you know, we watched that film to watch what they run and things like that. And right away you realize that A.J. Hammonds didn't play in that game for us. Uh, he was out due to suspension. Uh, but then the big piece, as you mentioned, that they had the freshman of the year in their league, player of the year in their league, uh, a true freshman, Anthony Lamb. And he uh, a very good player and a guy that you can – he has a very big physical body, but he can play inside and out. And you could tell that in that at that league, in that level, he was going to create a lot of havoc for guys because in that, you know, those type of uh, conferences, there's not a bunch of seven footers walking around on their rosters. And he could, you could tell, he could dominate inside. But then when you play the high majors, 
he's a guy that can step out and make threes and cause some mismatch problems too. Well, don't you think that was quite um, amazing that uh, in those two games, and uh, as you go to the second game, we'll talk about that in a moment, but uh, Deontay Burton was incredibly similar. He was 6'5", 250 pounds with a handle. Right. And could shoot it from 30 and then could take you off the bounce. And he was a real, real problem in that comeback for uh, uh, Iowa State. And and Anthony Lamb was, was just like him. I mean, those two guys are two physical guys. Now, Burton was much older. Uh, had been around a long time. But, uh, boy, I was impressed with both those guys. I mean, talent-wise, you don't – you know, you see some – I mean, you don't really get a feel for how many great basketball players there are in this country, but, man, there are. I mean, there are just some really good players that nobody's heard of. It doesn't we, matter who you play. Well, either. we hear at the non-conference, we've heard it once, we've heard it 100 times, coming from Coach Painter to our team, he, he says it all the time every year in, in November, there are great players everywhere. And, he's you know, he's trying to tell our guys you got to be on edge even when you're playing a school that maybe you haven't heard of much of or a roster that maybe don't doesn't have the name recognition that some of the high majors do. There are players all over uh, the NCAA. And with 351 teams, I mean, you're talking, you know, thousands of kids that are playing at this level. And there's there's guys that it's impossible to know where all the good players are. And the school, the bigger schools can't get them all. So there are good players everywhere. They were so impressive in the fact that 21 straight going into the NCAA tournament, 18-0 and in their league, and then they win three games in their conference tournament and really weren't challenged and how many times have you seen where a team dominates their their league and then gets beat in the conference tournament everybody screams injustice because they don't get the NCAA tournament bid Vermont took care of business the whole way yeah and uh, let's not forget that uh, P.J. Thompson doesn't hit a runner uh, at the horn the end of the half Purdue's going to be trailing at the half to Vermont and then came out in the second half and it was really Vince Edwards who it did not play a good first half by his standards at all. Came out in the third, uh, second, I'm not playing uh, women's basketball here, second half and uh, just dominated, uh, you know, the first five, six, seven minutes, which put us in a position to at least have some control over that game. But, you know, they kept they kept battling right to the end. They, they had a couple of big shots, you know, kept it inside the double digits and, you, with their ability to hit the outside shot, you were always concerned. But it was a, it was a deep sigh of relief when the Boilermakers won that game because everybody realizes that the previous two years they had lost in overtime games in the tournament. Yeah, I think there was a there was a sense of relief in the locker room as you mentioned. The first half, um, lucky to go in halftime with the lead. They outplayed us, I think, by all stretches in the first half, or at least we had a lot of um, sloppy moments. Uh, but the second half, as you said, rebounded uh, very well. Our turnovers went down, uh, shot the ball well. We were 5 of 10 from 3 in the second half, shot 55%. Uh, they actually shot it pretty well in the second half. We were just able to uh, just able to make more plays down the stretch and, and, won, and uh, ended up winning 80 to 70 to get on to round two. It was a happy scene in the locker room. Um, I, was, I told the coaches this. I was struck in the locker room the guys were happy but I was struck the next day when we went and practiced back at the arena and just for, so the fans kind of know when you go to an NCAA tournament we played Thursday Saturday obviously you get into town on Tuesday and then on Wednesday your whole day is taken up by you have an open practice to the public which lasts 40 minutes um, we we also then will go off site in this case we went to Marquette and practiced and there 
uh, in their practice facility uh, to kind of do some X's and O's type stuff. Your open practice is really just to get used to the environment, get a lot of shooting going in so you can kind of get used to the, the surroundings. Uh, and then you spend the other part of the day doing media stuff. And there's a lot of media stuff that goes into it, press conferences, open locker rooms, that kind of thing, uh, individual interviews with CBS and the like. So we did all that Wednesday, played the game Thursday. Then Friday you go back and you basically do it again. The only difference is your practice, instead of being open to the public, is closed and you get an hour versus you know, 20, 30 minutes. So it was a little bit different in that regard. But when we had the, the practice on Friday, our team was so loose and in such a good mood. Um, and Coach just, we got our work done real quick. And then he, we had like 20 minutes left on the clock. Uh, and our guys were playing shooting competitions and shooting half-court shots, and I was amazed at the difference between that practice and the practice we had on Wednesday. I just thought they were a lot more loose, and I, I, I didn't want to harp on the fact that we had gave a couple games away in the previous two years, but I think it did show up on our guys in this, from the standpoint that they felt like they got the monkey off their back, and now they could just play. And like they, and I think they were more relieved to finally stop answering all those questions about getting the monkey off their back. Yeah, now we could just does. focus on Iowa State and getting back to work. Yeah, because if you were there and listened to the questions, there wasn't one reporter who didn't bring it up. I mean, to every single player, to every single coach, to everybody that was there. And, hey, that's legitimate. I mean, you know, you got to own what you did. Right. And – uh so people are going to talk about it and whisper about it, and it's always it's always hanging around the room. I can tell you that. They're, you know, I, I know it does to me. I mean, well, I don't think I don't think anybody has a problem with the question. The issue becomes you get the same <laughs> same question thirty times right. because you have somebody that was at Coach Painter's press conference, and two guys have asked the question, and then he comes in the, to the open locker room. Well, he doesn't know it's already been asked, so he goes back up to PJ or Dakota or. Big year, whoever it was. Hey, uh, is there a sense of you got to get it done this year? Because so they're answering the same thing, you know, four or five, six times, and that would that would get old a little bit. So Friday we could just get to work on the uh, Cyclones and uh, the second round game and a team that it, it's funny because we so, it, it was kind of a theme. You play Michigan, the Big Ten tournament, a team that's on a roll. You played Vermont, a team that won twenty one straight. Yeah. Now you play Iowa State. A team that had been, they made a lineup change in what was it, February, early February, and since then have been on had been on a roll themselves, and had and had gone through the Big Twelve tournament and won that tournament in Kansas City, and so they come in red hot and the third straight team we play that is that is playing red hot. But what is lost in all this? Purdue's been red hot. <laughs> right. We we don't exactly. we don't talk about the oh, fact that exactly. Uh, Purdue's only lost twice since February 1st, both times to Michigan, once on the road, once on a neutral court, and that was an over, that was an overtime game. So uh, there was a real clear chance that uh, Purdue could have won that game too. So, yeah, I, I would put us right, right in there with them, but you, you make a very good point. I mean, all those teams red hot, and everybody really, I mean, no one was picking Vermont to win, I don't think. Um, but they thought that they would play Purdue a good game, and they did. Well, a few people, a lot of people, a few people picking, did pick Vermont because I printed all the predictions for Vermont off and gave it to our guys at the, the night before a to few. make sure that they knew that there were some people out there that thought. But quite that. a few, but quite a few uh, picked 
Iowa State, right. obviously, because right. they had just won Big 12 tourney. And, you know, it, it does make it rather ironic that uh, when Purdue and Kansas uh, meet this week that uh, both lost, both won the regular season title and both lost in the first game of their respective tournaments. So, But um, I watched the Iowa State first half in person, and I, that was enough for me to see that uh, – uh, that is a talented group of people. The and Nevada the, it, game you're talking about, yeah, yeah. And the thing, and the thing about it, about them when you looked at them was how old they were. Yes, I mean they had yes. two redshirt seniors, they had two other senior starters, and they had one pretty good freshman starter. But I mean they had four seniors that all those guys had to be like 36 and older, and it was, uh, and they knew what they were doing. They 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 were they're really a good team. Well, this is a team that. You know, we could have faced uh, previously. They were in uh, Denver with us last year, yeah. and we got familiar with them a little bit there. Uh, just kind of look, you know, watching them play in their first round game last year. Uh, a team that uh, was put together primarily those players recruited by Fred Hoiberg, and then of course he goes off to the Bulls, and uh, Coach Prom comes in, and um, I think the. The, the thing you said, yeah, that, that strikes you is the experience and just the you know, the guards. And then you touched on it earlier with uh, Deontay Burton. Um, they're, they don't have a true big guy in a sense, but he certainly did enough damage to us. He got us in some mismatches, hit some shots. Um, their point guard, Monte Morris, is one of those guys that he doesn't turn the ball over. And, in fact, PJ and him had an in-game conversation about that. Um and it's been kind of out there in some in some stories, post-game stories, about uh, him kind of telling P.J. they're going to start getting us to turn the ball over. And P.J. said, wait a minute, I'm right behind you now in, in terms of turnovers and taking care of the ball. But Monty Morris is as efficient as it gets. He's one of the all-time leaders in assist-turnover ratios. And uh, those guys have, have put together a lot of wins, and they're a really good three-point shooting team. In fact, a couple of the articles going into that game talked about if they could get going at the same time, how good they were going to be. And the chat in our locker room was our guys looked at us and said, well, what about what about us? What if we get it going? Because we got some shooters too. So there was, there was certainly motivation on both sides um, and in a very, I thought, evenly matched game going in. It, and didn't look like that in the first half. Certainly ended up being like as close as we thought it was going to be heading in. Well, I know that I made the comment many times while I was there, don't get too carried away by anything. This is going to go down to the last minute. Yes, I know you, you, I, you I know you heard me say it. Yeah. And uh, when Purdue was up 19 in the back of my mind, I could have said no way. But uh, having said that, we played nearly a perfect first half, in my opinion, uh, to get a 13-point halftime lead. And then we started the second half the first Four minutes of the second half were playing so darn good. I mean, and they had to change some things. I mean, they really had to change some things, and we had to counter. We knew that a run would come because they're just too good. I There was one time when we were, you know, 17, 16 ahead, something like that. There was one time there was a foul called, and, and I could see them I could see them wilting a little bit. Yeah. I really did. I mean, I, I I just looked out there and thought to myself. I didn't mention it on the air, but I thought to myself, yeah, we may we may have them here. We we may get them. And then when we went up nineteen at that fifty eight thirty nine, you know I, you know I felt good. I mean, fourteen minutes left. I felt good. I wouldn't have thought at that time that they could come all the way back, but I I, I felt pretty good. But you know, 
we missed a couple shots in there. Well, we we missed quite a few shots. We did, but there we missed a couple that I thought would have. You normally could hit. Yeah, you normally hit, and that would have, boy, it would have pushed them back a little bit further. Their crowd now. Iowa State is notorious for traveling very well, very well, and uh, that was no exception up in Milwaukee. They had a lot of Cyclone fans in the building. Um, you didn't realize it in the first 20 minutes because we had done such a good job. And every time in the first 20 minutes they got going, we were able to hit a shot and sit them right back down. Um, in the second half, when they started to make the run, it got loud in there. And I couldn't help but think about some of the games we had been in throughout the year, the at Northwesterns, Maryland, Michigan State, Indiana. Same type deal, uh, probably more hostile environments in, their, in another team's building. Uh, but our guys in each of those situations seem to almost, when they get in that situation, I don't know what it is about this team, but they seem to, it almost seems to calm them down a little bit and they get into that kind of that mode. And uh, we were able to make the, make the plays needed, uh, none bigger than P.J. Thompson hitting that three right in front of you guys uh, over there across the way. You guys sat, basically oh, I your totally, broadcast position was right across the bench, but that, that was the shot of the game in my opinion. And I totally miscalled it. I mean, because when I saw it go up, I didn't like the angle it was going at. I mean, it's amazing how you have a pretty good idea. Right. You have a pretty good idea if, if you're courtside. And if you get the right angle, and it's all angles. Yep. If you don't have the right angle, you don't have a clue. But a lot of times, in my case, if you if you got the right angle, and I did. I mean, I had a dead-on angle. And I saw that thing go up, and I, I wasn't real confident. And that thing hit up there. And I thought for sure it was out. And I'm all, I am always try to be efficient and try to be accurate, sometimes to a fault. I can remember when I did football that I used to always tell myself, wait till the receiver catches the ball before yeah. you say he caught the ball because then the audience gets really mad when you just said it was a 20-yard completion and then the ball drops. Yep. It's like miscalling yep. a home run. So I just miscalled a three-point play. It was the big, a three-point goal that was the biggest of the game. Because I thought he missed it. And it hit up there, kind of rimmed, and then popped up. Hit the backboard. And then hit the backboard yeah. and came back through. I mean, that's it was dramatic. It was. It, it, but it was really it, but it was really something. But that like, game went hey, the game wasn't over when that thing went no, through. They gave I, us no, a one point lead. Absolutely. And then we were able to go down and get a stop. Came down, uh, Biggie hits a layup. Then we go down, dive on a loose ball, Biggie calls timeout. And that was that stretch is what got us back. It, the, in the lead and then over the hump but you're talking about making the call it's like the home plate umpire don't call the outer safe until you make sure that catcher doesn't drop the ball yeah, exactly <laughs> then, i mean it, it's call. embarrassing and i've done it before i did it the year before for little rock when that guy i always forget his name he was a foreign player he's in the corner and you remember that three uh, that three thing. point goal is the same goes thing goes in and out and, yep. goes in and out kicks off the glass goes through there and i'm thinking that is just no so there was some there was some payback. I'm sorry Iowa State, but there was some payback when it came to to lucky things. But what was cool about this whole thing was it's a two point game, and uh, we're at the foul line with Dakota Mathias with 11 seconds left. And I think all of us feel real comfortable with Dakota being there at 84 percent on the year. Absolutely. And he's but both teams are in the one and one yet. We're not both teams just have seventeen fouls. So yep. we're in the one and one and we're wary of that. And that's that really plays big in the strategy late in the game, obviously, because yep. you're not in the double bonus. And Dakota misses. 
and that ball took a pretty good. I mean, hit. He was too strong on it, yeah, and it just iron. didn't. Yeah, it and that popped that ball out far enough that the big man could make an incredible, incredible play to to save the ball from being rebounded. He tipped it actually to himself, got it, turned around, and there was PJ. Got it to PJ. About the same position when he made that three-pointer. They came out and fouled. And now, oh, 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 we got P.J. Thompson at the foul line shooting one and one with a two-point lead. How familiar does that sound? Yep, absolutely. The same scenario that he had in Washington, D.C. against the Wolverines. And uh, the difference in this in this game, P.J. I thought P.J. was hooked up the whole game. And I thought he was excited to go against um, – what some some would say is a you know top two or three point guard in the whole tournament, yeah. and was excited from that from the beginning. Went in with a great deal of confidence, um, played well. I mean Monte Morris now he ends up with eighteen points and nine assists, but he has three turnovers, which for him is high, and he goes one of seven from three, seven of fifteen from the field. So PJ made him work for everything he got. Goes to the line and he looked over the bench because at that point, now we're discussing. The scenarios here, you know, obviously if he misses the front end, you just go down and play great defense. If he makes one and misses the second, now you're up three, do you foul? If he makes both, obviously you just, you know, get out of their way and, you know, try to work as much time as you can. But that's what's going through everybody's conversation. I think they went over the monitor too yeah. to make sure, you yeah. know, they got to do that now. We can't, heaven forbid we just play. We well, have they did to go that over to, the monitor. They did that more to Dakota. They yeah, didn't, Dakota right, was right. just frozen by the and, and that was made a big deal of in some of the games I watched last night. They're going to these monitors and they are freezing shooters. So PJ gets froze a little bit. We're talking strategy. He looks over and says, "Guys, I got this." Like, forget the strategy. There's not going to be any strategy involved. And he gave us that look and said, "I'm making these." Wow. And everybody on the bench, you know, our players love it. I mean, they they now they're they're confident. Everybody. You know, gets quiet for the shot. First one goes in. You know, our crowd goes nuts. And then when the second one goes in, obviously our crowd really goes nuts. Uh, but in PJ's mind, and free throw shooting, and, and play overall is so much based on confidence. But he walked to that line, a confident young man, and, and obviously showed it. Two huge free throws. And, uh, you know, we, we move on to Sweet 16. Um, you know, and if you look at, to me, the most important stat or the most impressive stat from Purdue's standpoint, 31 made baskets, 27 of them assisted on. That is an incredible rate, and I saw that talked about quite a bit. We just had a, a great game plan put together by the coaches, shared the ball really well, and really uh, made Iowa State look silly sometimes on the defense. Well, team. you know what's really been uh, – by the way, Isaac Haas had a terrific game. and uh, 14 points, yep, 6 of 8 shooting. He was 6 of 8 and, and was a real problem. And uh, by the way, Swanigan had seven assists in that game to How go along. Twenty, twelve, and seven. Yeah, but I mean, here, but here, here's my point, and it goes back to the Northwestern game. We've had these, uh, that game, and and the game at Northwestern. Uh, we have become really good when uh, when Vince and Vince gets involved with with Biggie in the low post game because of their passing and. And Swanigan has just been great at it. Yep. And he's gotten that ball to Vince in certain spots where we've really got some clean looks, and he's been able to, uh, you know, to get it done in there. And uh, it's, uh, Swanigan has really, really uh, become a very good passer. If he can catch it clean, 
and uh, he's been able to do that. So it's, yeah. And Vince cleaned up his turnover issue from the Vermont game. 21 Zero. points, 10 rebounds, 4 assists, no turnovers. None. Had, had Zero. Had an absolutely huge offensive rebound and put back in the middle of that Iowa State run that really helped um, to kind of stem that tide. And then, as you mentioned, Isaac Haas off the bench with 14. Carson Edwards gives us 9 off the bench. Those two guys in particular, uh, 23 points off the bench for both of those guys. And then Spike Albrecht only played nine minutes, but did some good things out there as well. Um, I, just overall, a good, uh, good team win. Uh, obviously, the locker room is was uh, you know elated after the game, uh, moving on. And and this is a team, and we've talked about it on here all year since we've started doing these podcasts. What a good group of guys they are, close knit group of guys. Um, they just they don't want this ride to end. And uh, to know it's going to go on for at least another week, um, you know, it was, a, it was a great scene in the locker room. And then we start, you know, turning our sights ahead uh, to Kansas City. Uh, Milwaukee was a, a great site for that for that uh, tournament. We actually, with the late tip, I mean, these tips are, when you get the late game, it's a late night. By the time you do your post-game media obligations, you get back to the hotel, you know, it's 1130, 1145. We got back to the hotel and we had already said that we were going to, wait and bus home the next morning and so we walk in the hotel lobby and it was packed with golden black all the purdue fans in there it was a pretty cool scene um and more than anything just happy that our our players got to experience that and walk into that lobby and kind of return as heroes um it was a really cool scene and a lot of them their families were there so that was that was a great way to to uh cap off the, the stay in milwaukee so then uh obviously moving on to Kansas City and the Jayhawks await us. Uh, as we tape this, we are preparing to leave um, for Kansas City. The team will depart on Tuesday evening. Um, and then kind of the same routine that we had in Milwaukee at Thursday game. A late tip again um, at 9.40 Eastern, 8.40 uh, local time. Uh, a lot of history between us and Kansas, especially in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and all part of uh, my career. Uh, they played twice. Only two times um, in the early 1950s. Apparently had a home and away uh, series, but that was it with Kansas when you consider their great basketball tradition and produced basketball tradition. I'm kind of kind of amazed by that. I would have thought that uh, these two teams would get together more often, both being Midwest-based, but that happens occasionally. But uh, this will be our fourth time playing them in the NCAA, the uh, – First one was uh, monumental. Uh, everyone remembers it. 94, Knoxville, Tennessee. Glenn Robinson, Conzo Martin. By the way, Zoe, congratulations on your new job. Yeah, we're going to have your to get... Your new contract. We're going to have to get uh, Zoe on the uh, on the podcast here in the offseason and get an update. He was named head coach at Missouri. Uh, very excited for him and his family. I think that's a... I but think that, it's a place uh, he can put some, finally put some roots down. He's been on the move quite a bit. But that game, that first game with Kansas, was a Sweet 16 game, just like this one was. We were the higher, higher seeded team. We were number one seed. They mm-hmm. uh, were four, and uh, but they were good, and uh, we ended up winning that game, 83-78. It was only five point game. It was only a five point game, and in that game, Glenn Robinson had 30 in the first half. In the first half, 30. Uh, but when it was all said and done. Uh, G. Rob ended up with 44, 44 piece nugget, <laughs> and 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 our yeah. man Conzo Martin, uh, 
had eight three balls on the way to 29 points. Those two guys scored an amazing 73 of our 83 points in that five-point victory over Kansas. You can never, ever forget that game. And no, so many. I mean, those two things, you know, Glenn's dunk on Ostertag. I mean, that's <laughs> that's that's one of the all-time um what, what a lot games. of people what a lot of people don't remember though about that game was in the first half Glenn slipped fell he fell down and was called for traveling as he was falling down on his hind end and on his back yeah. he threw the ball up there and swished it <laughs> and, yep, that, absolutely. and that one didn't count <laughs> that one didn't count on the 30 yeah it's the, it's the most impressive half of basketball I've ever seen anybody play in the NCAA tournament. I mean it was absolutely yeah, phenomenal. Yeah it, it was it was phenomenal. Then we come back in 1997 we played uh we beat Rhode Island mm-hmm. in overtime, right? Thanks to Brian Cardinal by yep. the way. Yep. And uh, we were playing at the Pyramid in Memphis and uh, but we were an 8 or a 9 and so we knew we had to play the top ranked team and that was Kansas. Uh, led by Jock Vaughn. Now the game ended up being a 15-point game, but in the second half, and I'm I'm talking not not real late, but I'm talking eight-minute mark, seven-minute mark, somewhere in there, Purdue had taken the lead on these guys, yep. and, and it was it was a big story nationally. Yeah, it everyone. was a good showing, and I think that team was still fairly young. I mean, that, oh yeah, that's the yeah, team yeah. that ends. That was the the 2000 team. Yeah, the backbone of that team ended up being the 2000 you know Elite Eight team. So you started to see some potential. Um, in that game that, you know, you could go against the number one seed and take them, you know, down the stretch. Um, and, and then that and, and then that last game was in Omaha. It was Robbie Hummel's yeah, that's a, last uh, year. <laughs> and, again, they uh, they were a two seed. Purdue, if you remember, had beaten St. Uh, beaten St. Mary's. Yep. And uh, barely. And advanced, and we're playing Kansas, and um, Kansas was the heavy favorite. And boy, did we give them a game. We in a, again, in a Hummel, Hummel had an incredible first incredible. half. You remember? And a game that was uh, in Omaha was entirely the stands, as we're going, as we expect right, in Kansas right. City. Obviously, don't expect um, it. Know it <laughs> was going to be all Kansas fans. It was that way in Omaha, um, and uh, Kansas fans that were basically sitting on their hands for thirty-eight minutes. Um, we. It's the game that whenever we sit around and, and get nostalgic and talk about the, all these old games, it's the one game that since I've been here my 15 years, it's the one game I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm ever, I haven't really ever got over it. Um, I just felt like that was led the whole way and just a couple plays down the stretch. You know, they get two breakaways at the end of that yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. And we we say it all the time. We could have just dropped, kicked the ball into the stands, and and gone back and played defense. We probably win that game. And right. just really unfortunate how it ended. And it's one that uh, I know, especially with those guys on that team, the seniors, Ryan Smith, Lewis Jackson, Rob Hummel. Um, you know, it still eats at them. But yeah, a lot of lot of history between these two teams in the NCAA tournament. Um, more will be made uh, on Thursday as we go to Kansas City and this team. Um, you know, number one seed as you talked about, they're thirty and four coming in. Uh, now, an interesting note, we've beaten two teams. They have four losses on the year. We've beaten two of those teams that beat them. Indiana obviously got them to start the year. Uh, Iowa State then beat them uh, in at Lawrence. Kansas, yeah, yeah, in Lawrence, which very rare, rarely happens. Um, and we were able to beat both those teams during the season. So a little um, interesting note there. But uh, they're, they're loaded as always. And uh, I think some, a lot of a lot of different subplots. One of them being that 
Frank Mason, their um, their very highly touted guard, uh, and Biggie Swanigan are basically one two in the National Player of the Year race at this point. Um, a lot of people will talk about that uh, going into uh, into that matchup. Um, they're a guard oriented team. Um, I think you know we're a post oriented team, but I would argue that I think we're pretty balanced. Uh, but that will be the talk. It'll be the contrasting styles, um, and of course. Uh, Kansas just had knocked off Michigan State in the uh, second round in Tulsa. Uh, was their route to get to Kansas City? So uh, they will play their second straight Big Ten team um, as we uh, will face them. As we said, the late tip on Thursday. Uh, but if you look around the tournament so far, a couple things that jump out: the Big Ten representing pretty well, three teams in the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, and you have. Uh... Wisconsin, who is an eighth seed, uh, eliminating Villanova, the defending champion. You have Michigan, a seventh seed, and you have Purdue, a fourth seed. So you, so you have three Big Ten teams that may not have been seeded correctly. Certainly, two of them weren't, and uh, it's uh, and and the Big Ten took an awful pounding for not being any good. So, yeah, a really good showing. And you know, Northwestern played Gonzaga pretty well. They got kind of a, a bad deal, to be honest with you. I'm not saying they would have won the game, but they certainly were part of a situation that never should have happened. Right. That was a referee's call. And, um, yeah. I, I don't th- And I don't get caught up. I, I think I don't get caught up so much in the conference um, chatter that goes on during the season. People will say a certain league's up or down. But if you think about it, your data to compare is usually over around December twentieth, and and then it's done. Yeah, and but so think, then you but have the, to base yeah, that but, the whole season. And teams evolve, teams get better, teams change, teams get healthier, they get hurt. Um, you know, Michigan now compared to Michigan in November, exactly. it's not even close. No, but think about this. Think about this. Think about some of those scores this week, uh, Virginia. Absolutely hammered an ACC team. Notre Dame loses. Okay, but I mean they're competitive, but they right, lose. Right. Duke loses. Yeah. They're uh, Louisville. Louisville loses to a Big Ten team, Michigan, and we haven't even talked about Florida State and how embarrassed they were. We left the building on uh, Thursday night, getting back to the hotel, and I was talking with our athletics director, Mike Bobinski, and we were just kind of talking about the field and the tournament and uh, you know he was on this program and had talked about his role as the committee chairman we were talking about seating and that kind of thing and we talked about the fact that at, at that point the the ACC hadn't got anybody through to the sweet 16 but all their big hitters were coming up to you know the next day on Sunday and that's when Duke Carolina and Louisville were playing and that's where you figured well on paper anyway, all three higher seeds that were expected to advance. And the day starts off, the first game of the day, Michigan-Louisville. Louisville's going home. And then, to be honest, Carolina struggled and was down late. They had an 8-0 run down the stretch. Right. Or else Arkansas moves on. And then, of course, last night, the the, the evening was, was capped off. Uh, Duke loses at South Carolina in Greenville. Of course, the story then was, well, it got moved out of North Carolina because of the uh, the legislation that was passed there, the NCAA decided not to hold any more championship events in the state of Carolina, North Carolina, moved it to South Carolina, 
South Carolina sitting there saying thank you very much. Frank Martin and them advance, and uh, that becomes a huge story. So yeah, the the, and I think that's getting so much play because so many pundits and national guys were trumpeting the ACC as perhaps the best league ever, and in and along the lines of the great Big East leagues when they got three of four to the wrong, final four. <laughs> wrong, wrong. And now, thanks to uh, great Twitter sites like. Uh, what's the hot takes, cold takes? Uh, now, anytime you put something in print, it's thrown back at you, and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of those tweets and and columns and things like that are, are resurfacing. And uh, and it, but it goes to show you, again, you make the hay in in November and December, and then throughout the season, if if is it like Virginia's a perfect example. They're in an ACC where they start off and win some games in the ACC, and maybe, maybe perhaps maybe Duke, maybe Louisville were maybe a little overvalued. So now when Virginia loses to a Duke or beats a Duke, it's considered a better win than it should be, and when you lose, it's not considered a, a bad loss because well they're such a great team, and so then you get in that vicious cycle during conference season, and you can't there's no way to disprove any of that until you get to March. So. There you go. Of course, I would argue too that so much of that is based on matchups, and that could that could play as much into it as anything else. So, so are you packed for Kansas City? Yes, sir. You're ready I, to go. I came home um, Sunday. Well, you know I am. You're just letting the audience know what I did. I came home for the first time in my life. I emptied my entire suitcase. I washed every item of clothing I had in there, whether I used it or not, rolled them all back up nice and neat, put them right back into the suitcase, <laughs> and other than my uh, my uh, dress pants and top for both games, uh, everything's ready to go. So I zip it up and ready to go. Let's roll. Let's go. I know the uh... – This, by the way, will be our fifth consecutive weekend on the road. You mentioned that right before we started recording here, and I didn't realize that at all, but it has been a – we have been road weary. <laughs> I mean, think of we the the team got back to campus yesterday on. Uh, we're taping this on Monday. Team got back to campus on Sunday around what time was it? about two o'clock, mm-hmm. roughly two o'clock. So players obviously, you know, they went probably went back to bed. They were up late the night before with the late game. Uh, staff, um, you know, you take care of a few things you need to at home, and then you get back in here and watch and film on what. We didn't know at that point who the winner was going to be. We felt like we had enough info on Michigan State, having played them a couple times this season. So you really start working a little bit on Kansas. Of course, you don't want to get too far down that road and have all that time go to waste. But uh, our video guys were in here uh, pulling together as many Kansas games as we could. And then last night, breaking all that film down and getting a game plan together for practice on Monday. We will practice here on Tuesday and then fly out for Kansas on, uh, on Tuesday evening. And then, uh, as we mentioned earlier, get right back into that routine with the media and everything on Wednesday, and away we go, playing Thursday. So uh, 16 teams left in the 2017 NCAA tournament, Purdue among them, and it feels pretty good. Been a great postseason run. Hopefully we'll keep it up. I'd love to be doing this podcast in another seven days and doing the postseason edition part two. So let's hope – here's hoping for that. Amen to that. As we head to Kansas City. So – I want to thank everybody for listening. This has been episode 18 on the Purdue Basketball Podcast. Until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well.